Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Alrighty, welcome back to Girl and the Gub, the podcast. <laughs> um, we've become quite musical in our old age. It's really, it's a treat. It's basically like going to Broadway, but better. Yeah, well, yesterday we were doing Broadway and Top Stories episode, really which I guess we'll just, we'll plug real quick while we're on it. Might as well talk about it because we talked about a few stories. So definitely mm-hmm. go give it a listen. We talked about the hurricane in Puerto Rico. We talked about the recession and raising rates once again and how you need to go listen to Delano's episode to explain what that even means. Also, we talked about a federal investigation into DeSantis sending innocent migrants across country as a political stunt. We also talk about the Electoral Count Act, which is all the talk on the Hill right now, and Lindsey Graham's abortion bill proposal and how 15 GOP senators actually have signaled some opposition towards it. So go listen to that and hear about what's going on in the political world right now because it's not as crazy as we've seen but it stays crazy out there you know yeah I mean it's it's one of those things too it's like crazy in context you know like Mm -hmm. there's lots going on but I think we have become so used to because of the Trump yeah like cycle totally numb like if something is not literally even honestly even if something's on fire I mean there's a massive hurricane that like took out electricity for all of Puerto Rico and we're like eh, quiet Tuesday and yeah. like it's obviously not but it's one of those things like we are like literally like Maddie said numb to it it's wild yeah we're like if our like, rights I are don't... being stripped like it's a slow news day yeah and like <laughs> classic granted Sometimes the, world we the live things in. that happen in darkness and quiet are the things to be more concerned about. Mm, so that was profound, Samantha. Just, Samantha? I, I have my moments. That was profound. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, speaking of profound and really, really fucking exciting things, mm. we launched our collaboration with Social Goods. There is some merch out there for you guys to go check out. We are so, so excited about it. It's literally adorable. We collabed with them, which we've worked with them for a few years now just on different stuff and like we're so excited to have made a collection with them like we were being little like fashion designers you know like sending them designs colors you know we were just really like why why weren't we at fashion week last week I'm, I'm not sure but there is some really cute shit for you guys to go check out on their website and we created a trucker hat we made some pop sockets, some stickers, and a tote. And they all mm-hmm. say, drum roll, please. Friends don't let friends miss elections. There it is. I left a little bit of a pause for dramatic effect. Hope it worked. 
It did. I just, I felt the drama. I felt the buildup was just phenomenal. I could not, Everyone I'm literally was at the edge of my seat. Quaking, yeah. quaking. You know, I really do like saying at the edge of my seat. And part of it too is I literally am always at the edge of my, sh- at, oh my God, <laughs> at the edge of my seat because I can't yeah. sit like a normal person. Because my Like I'm hurts. literally falling off this chair. <laughs> there is like any t- <laughs> any time that I watch our YouTube, which by the way, guys, go subscribe to our YouTube right mm, now. We go haven't check her out. that in a minute. Please go subscribe. Like actually, even if you don't plan to watch these episodes on YouTube, if you can go subscribe, helps. it helps us a lot. Thank you. Thank you. AK, love you. AK, thanks. Yet again. But nonetheless, you can also see me move like a like a crazy lady, like a crazy old woman, because I cannot Samantha sit just still. like contorts like all episode into different positions. It's so hard. I don't know how people sit up. I think it's look, it's we could go into my back issues, but that's just not not today's topic. But I will say my ADHD is definitely one, especially in our political playlist episode, which is officially live. And nothing cracks me up. I was listening through to it. And there is a moment where I clearly, like, ADHD lose my thought. And I'm like, wow, squirrel. And I'm like. (laughs) Oh, I heard him remember when he said that. (laughs) Yes. Go listen to that, too. That's another plug. We are on Political Playlist podcast. And it's actually just a really fucking funny conversation. But it also has some really insightful political commentary mixed in as well. So definitely worth a listen. And definitely worth a subscribe because their podcast is awesome. But even back Amen to Social to Goods that. really fast. You guys can yes. go to socialgoods.com, go to their collections tab, and then find our collab, which is Social Goods X Girl and the Gov. And no, it's not Trump X FBI. It's Social Goods X Girl and the Gov. <laughs> and you will see our collection there. And we hope you guys get it. If you do make some purchases, definitely like tag us. If you want to like do a little screenshot of your receipt, tag us. Or if you want to wait until it comes to you and you can pose and look really cute in your items tag us but we are just so excited about this collection like i'm obsessed with it i can't stop just like looking at the page i don't know what's going on with me it's honestly therapeutic it just feels look we love pink so obviously this collection just feels right for us and i look you know it's a big deal if i'm excited to get a hat and wear a hat Mm. like that is I actually was literally just thinking about this because it's a trucker hat like I'm just so excited and intrigued to see what it looks like on you and whether you're gonna be like this is horrendous or you're gonna be like wait (laughs) is this my hat because sometimes like trucker hats can look weird on my head specifically like for example like Mac like my best friend like she looks so good in trucker hats but like on my head shape I think it's like my head's a little small or something but nonetheless I think I actually have this trucker hat in merch for Machine Gun Kelly from his concert, this exact one, which I do like how it fits. So definitely, if you guys order it, let us know what you think. But I'm really excited to see Samantha's head in it for sure. Which for background, if you're new here, I am very convinced that I look like a Q-tip in a hat. So (laughs) there's just been some controversy. You know, everyone like say, oh no, you don't. You look so good in a hat. And I'm like, guys, you can stop lying to me. It's okay. I've come to terms with this. Like, you know, I, I've done, you know, the one-on-one chat with myself and be like, it's okay. Well, we don't have to wear everything. Exactly. But I, I do love this hat. We had so much fun designing it. I can't wait to wear it. It's going to be like a fun, like hiking hat, going on a hot girl Mm. walk, podcast walk, troll girl walk, whatever type of walk we're going on these days. You know, it's, any Chuck type of scenario. In, too. They it's, are. They're fun. They're and, it's okay. Wait, Haley Bieber. You know 
I wanted to mention, I know I mentioned this a little bit on Top Stories yesterday, but I just think it's like such an important shopping point. And that is like, obviously you guys can get things a la carte. We love it. Maybe there's one thing in the collection that just really speaks to you or it's like a great individual gift to someone, you know, in your in your circle. But I will say we designed and selected all these items so that they could be put together and be like a really nice cohesive gift for someone. So basically like think like the tote bag and then you're going to pack it in with the hat and the pop socket and the stickers and then obviously make yourself a little card, whatever it is. It just feels really like cohesive. Like you're providing someone mm-hmm. essentially like a little like voter set. You know, it's not yeah. it's not as there's forty nine days till the election folks. Yeah. So definitely go get your voting merch. The one thing I will also say, unlike the merch that we've dropped before, there's actually limited quantities of this merch Mm, so mm -hmm. get it before it's gone it's an exclusive exclusive collection exclusive (laughs) but yes go check it out socialgoods.com moving forward other few little housekeeping moments before we get into our episode it's voter registration day slash week make sure you and your friends are registered to vote you can go to girlonthegov.com slash vote you can post it on your story you can put it in your instagram bio Just do your part on checking in on like five, maybe 10 friends you're feeling bold and make sure everyone's registered to vote and ready to vote in November. So just have this week be a reminder of that. And the other thing is our giving circles that we launched, which I will hand the mic to Samantha to give you guys the spiel because this is exciting stuff as well. It is. It is V exciting. So you guys may be familiar with the States Project. We did an episode with Melissa Walker, their head of Giving Circles this winter. It is one of those episodes that just so much fun to, of course, record. But one of those ones we love to go back to time and time again because it focuses on the importance of state races. So our Giving Circle with the States Project, you can guess, is focused on, well, states races. So our Giving Circle it's live and our goal is to raise money for key state races these are races that are traditionally underfunded on the democratic side the republicans have been at it for a while so we need to beat Mm -hmm. them at their own game we need to raise money to help these candidates in states where we can make majorities and break some of these super majorities that have been really killing us here and passing restrictive abortion laws Mm This is the how and to do it. Voting. We got to dismantle Republican GOP power in the states. And that's what the states project does. So we are fully in support of that and want to do our part to contribute to those those races. Amen to that. And you can donate whatever you feel comfortable with. Our goal right now is $6,000. And here's the thing. Here's the kicker. Not even a kicker. It's just like a fun fun added detail is once we get to 25% of our goal, we get to select which state this goes for. So far, I've seen a lot of votes for New Hampshire, but we're between three. So New Hampshire, New New Nebraska. Nebraska. (laughs) I'm dead. I'm dead. Guys, anyone from Nebraska, what do we think about the rebrand? Anyways, Nebraska or Maine. So let us know which one really just like fits your fancy, excites you the most. They all need our help. So we love them all, but we have to Mm -hmm. choose one. So let us know. And obviously we'll be linking that in the description. You can find that link in bio on our social accounts. And here's the thing is like we said, every dollar counts. This is another thing to share with your friends, share with your network. Share with your family. Especially like your, your parents be like, I really care about this. Can you contribute a few dollars? You know, you you head into mom's, you know, wallet and you, you usually can get a few bucks, you know? Mm, interesting strategy. Interesting mm-hmm. strategy. Well, 
there you have it. I was just about to give a really messed up example of that. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I just had like such an interesting, like not even I'm sure we've all just stolen whatever. some money from our parents. No, over the it wasn't even me. There was this girl <laughs> at my high school that was like, anyways, it's, it's a gossipy tidbit. I just exposed myself. Sorry, mom and dad. I haven't done it in there years, it is. I promise. That's since high school. Just like five bucks here and there. Just just like a little bit. I just need right. my fresh baked cookies at school at recess. Um, not. That's so that's wholesome. Wait, just to conclude with this giving circle situation. Yeah, please. Because <laughs> Maddie's stealing cookie money. If your friends, your family, your network is like, I really want to like give to a campaign. Like I don't know where to give it. This is a great place to direct them. This oftentimes, like we said, underfunded area of politics. So let's make that money count. You know, it's one thing to give money, but like it has to have purpose and it has to have strategy behind it for it to make a difference. And the States Project has that strategy down pat and the giving circles that are a part of that are really just the move. Yeah. The freaking move. So go contribute your few bucks, send it to your friends, see what you can do and we will do the same and hopefully we will all reach our goal together we yay anyways moving on to our episode and our guests you guys we have two guests there's four four mics running in this episode Mm. we talked to the pov today all about birth control and abortion types and we were saying yesterday in our top stories it's basically like a pod fun podcast episode of an obgyn appointments sans pap smear which like this is what you need like yeah this is what everyone needs such like also like almost like if you brought your friends you know it's like you Mm, and your best friends go to the OBGYN together we all have these questions constantly Mm -hmm. and it sometimes is so hard to find the deets so we were blessed to be able to talk with the team of the POV welcome in the doors there's Hold on, before I open the doors, I do want to make one little arrow point. You know, one one of those, you know the people on, on the corners that are like mm-hmm. sale, closing sale, that have the fun arrow, which I've always yeah. wanted one of those? Yeah, that's how I feel with this. And where I want that arrow to land is to two of our partner posts that we've done with the POV that run through some of the top line facts on abortion types. And I just think these are really great posts that you're going to want to save and share with your friends. So make sure to check those out too. And of course, give them a follow. But nonetheless, without further ado, here are the co-founders of the POV, Malia Funk and Dr. Patel. Well, we are so glad to have you both here. You guys are the voices, the brains, the minds behind the POV. Can you all tell us a little bit about what the POV is and, of course, how it all began? Yeah, absolutely. So the goal of the POV is to connect women and people with the uterus with veteran, modern healthcare services. So the world of healthcare is changing so fast with digital health and at-home testing and changes to laws. And it's low key, just like scary out there for a lot of people. And most people don't have the time or the knowledge to do hours of research and pick the right clinic or doctor or app to help them. But QT9 do. So what we're building is really a way that these women plus can search for new health services and feel super confident 
booking that first appointment or ordering that testing kit. And mm -hmm. to give you an idea of how it started, it originally started with me. So I was working in big healthcare, like I was a strategy consultant, and then I was in private equity. And I was in my early 20s. So what I was doing was taking notes and crunching numbers, but it allowed me to be in the room when big decisions were being made about how a health insurance company would expanded to a new market or how nurses would be staffed in a hospital. So I literally got to see how broken and complicated and expensive the U.S. health system is from the inside. And in the meantime, I got an IED. And that IED ended up not being in the right place, which can happen. It's not necessarily anyone's fault. It was super painful all the time, constant heavy bleeding, the whole thing. What's crazy is that it took me three years to convince a doctor to take it out. Like mm. every time I brought up the issue, it was like, I can see the strength, so it's fine. And we saw five different doctors oh and I was God. like, okay, so it's not only that the health system is super expensive, but it also like fails women and uterus owners a lot. Like the, yeah. research, the research says that eight in 10 women report medical gaslighting. So that was what kind of drove me to be like, Fuck, I'm done being part of it. Can I swear? Yeah. Oh, please. Yeah. please. <laughs> I'm done being part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to just complain about it. And I yeah, knew to yeah. do that, I would need to like partner with a very modern, like-minded medical professional who actually knew the field. And super luckily, I found Kiersey. And together, we've kind of cycled through concepts and ideas to improve healthcare for women and people with a V. And it's been fun. Yeah, we, to that end, how did you guys find each other? What was yeah. that process like? I found her on a like a job board for doctors who are looking for jobs other than being a doctor. So maybe they're going to continue to practice, but they're interested in playing some other type of role. And so many doctors applied and a lot of them just, it seemed like really wanted money and like just an extra income stream, not really to be part of changing healthcare. But I felt like Kirthi and I were just like, immediately aligned like feminism healthcare women yeah the whole thing yes and i do cl clinically practice if this is mm -hmm. something i like to do to continue to you know be inspired by you know it, it inspires my work so um, yeah i love it well can you guys give another snapshot too about like what the work really looks like and i know you guys create these guides can you tell us about those and what really exists currently and how people can access them give us all the how how do we use this resource the PMB? yeah so there's essentially two ways to use the resource right now there's the directory and the guides so the directory is essentially we've gone and done research on some great healthcare solutions a lot of them are virtual some of them are virtual and in person and we review everything from like their bedside manner based on us us actually trying it for what people have reported, pricing and insurance, how they use technology, what to expect, all of that good stuff. And then on the flip side, we are just like pumping out guides based on the frequently asked questions through our social media. So the most popular guides are how to choose a birth control method, the guide to abortion and the guide to STI testing. Oh, and questions to ask during your first gynecologist visit. We also did one on the best ways to use virtual care for gynecology. So like you can't get a pap smear done virtually, but there's a ton right. you can do with licensed OBGYNs online. Save you time and money and you'll probably get more focused personalized care. So we have the directory, we have the guides. And I also wanted to give a quick plug 
right now, as we build out our network of vetted clinics and services and guides, like we don't have stuff available in every city yet, but we're doing free concierge matching if you reach out to us. So like if you said, hi, I'm Sammy, I live wherever and I have PCOS and I'm looking for a gynecologist to help with that. Like we could provide personalized recommendations and info and stay with you through the whole process. We have like three or four open spots for that right now. And then it'll be a wait list. But this allows us to also find out like what you guys want and what you're looking for. So if you want to be a part of that, you can email us at info at the POV.us. Otherwise, head of our website, the POV.us. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. We'd love mm -hmm. to meet you. Yeah, that is amazing, it. especially doing the reviews and behind the scenes and finding actual providers totally. that work for us because to your, you know, founding story and experience, I can definitely relate on so yeah. many medical issues throughout times of going to doctors and feeling like I'm just screaming into an abyss and no one is listening. And that is unfortunately not a unique experience in the U.S. and definitely anything out there that can help move the needle there. I'm here for it. You know, we are huge fans of you guys. So we're so excited to be continuing the conversation. And to the point of these guides, the most popular, we want to run through them. We want to get into the nitty gritty, starting with birth control, because this is a topic that spans so many different avenues, but definitely is in so many group chats. Let's just be honest. Mm -hmm. Birth control is often the talk of the town. And so we want to talk about those common questions. And the first one being, what is the difference between hormonal and non-hormonal birth control? Okay, I guess I'll take this. So take these. <laughs> the doctor. So hormonal birth control is birth control that contains either estrogen and progesterone. And examples of that would be the pill, the patch, the vaginal ring, and also birth control that contains just progesterone. So examples of that would be the depot shot, the Nexplanon, the implant, progesterone only pills, and the IUD with hormones that has just progesterone and the non-hormonal birth control would, would be without any estrogen or progesterone. And that the examples of that would be, you know, condoms and the non-hormonal IUD, the copper IUD. Are those the only two non-hormonal? Non- well, that are like now accepted. Well, there's no female condoms. There's a diaphragm. Yeah. I just gave a couple of Do people of still use those? Like diaphragm, yeah. you know, circle cap, the sponge, you know, so those are not hormonal. Sponge. And then there's the sponge. Side. I'm like, I haven't heard of the sponge since like yeah, my what seventh about grade. Yeah. <laughs> not that anyone uses that when I'm throwing that yeah. out. They don't yeah. have hormones. And spermicide also, you know. Yeah, we are going to ask spermicide. That's definitely one of the ones like I learned in like middle school, which always sounded so scary. But can you explain what that is and like how that works sure it's a it's a vagin it's vaginal gels a gel preparation that you that is used as birth control and basically the way it works is it would either it can either kill or immobilize sperm and thereby reduce your chance of getting pregnant there's you know the spermicide nanoxinol 9 and that one destroys sperm and then there's the like a newer one called the Fexi or vaginal pH regulating gel. And that basically lowers the pH and it causes the sperm to become in immobilized and inactive. You know, it's best that they're used with something else, perhaps like a barrier, like a con mm. you know, condom, yeah. because their effectiveness alone is, you know, it will reduce your risk of pregnancy, but it's not, you know, the failure rate is higher compared to some of the other, the other these other methods. 
Mm-hmm. Wait, Dr. Patel, Fexi is like so popular right now and it's new. I People are constantly asking about Fexi and you just said that it lowers your pH or changes your pH. Is that sketch? Like, yeah, is, that, I, is spermicide mm, even is that like a healthy suggestion? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, toxic. I think it's right for certain patients. You know, some patients cannot take these hormonal methods or they've tried everything. It's a good option to try. Yes, changing your pH is going to potentially put you at risk for a vaginal infection. So everybody is different. You know, it may or may not cause a vaginal infection, but that that has been reported as a potential mm-hmm. side effect, a little bit increased risk of vaginitis. So it's worth a try if, you, you know, all these other methods don't work for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, to the point of the hormonal side of things and, you know, people that can't take it or it's like bad effects, like I tried birth control. I don't even want to trying to figure out how many years ago it was, but many a year ago and immediately like I hated it. For me, the experience was just terrible. I was, it was almost like an out of body experience where I was so moody and I was so mean. Like I could just feel like, this is not me. I gained so much weight in like a month. I was off it within two months. It just was not it for me. And it totally steered me off of trying any others. I was like, this experience just sucked wasn't for me. And so in my head, I'm like not a hormonal birth control gal. And I'm curious, like what causes like those like mood swings or the bad effects and, you know, obviously birth control, not obviously, but it it impacts people differently. And like, why is that? Well, I mean, they are hormones. They don't just work where you want them to work. You know, they will have systemic effects like any medications, you know, there can be side effects. Fortunately, I mean, the side effects with birth control, they're actually pretty for most people, not everyone, of course, but for the most part, most women tolerate them really well. And there's a low risk of side effects. And if they do occur, they're often pretty mild. That obviously wasn't your experience. And I wish I knew what (laughs) methods you tried. I mean, that's the other thing. When birth control first came out, it was much higher doses, you know, and Mm -hmm. over the years, they've developed different formulations. You know, we have a lot of different options to try to switch patients to, you know, try something different. So, you know, I I don't know if your, your provider worked with you to try other formulations or, you know, offered you any other options to see, but that's probably what I would do. I mean, there are patients who eat with different formulations or a low dose formulation, you know, won't do well with them. But overall though, for your audience, you know, most women actually tolerate birth control pills, for example, combination pills with estrogen and progesterone really well. And in fact, we even use it to treat certain mood problems like PMS, PMDD, we call it. Got that. I have, I have just something that I learned recently about birth control through you, Dr. Patel, but also like separately. I had been on the combination pill since I was really young, like 14. They put me on it for, I was having irregular periods. And when I was like 22, I was like, I'm going off of it because it's causing me to have mood swings and PMS and bloating and all these things. Turns out those symptoms were just my period. Like it actually wasn't really the pill. I just associated it with the pill. So that is just something I always think about. I'm like, yeah, my period's just the worst. (laughs) Yeah, I got, I went on it when I was in high school because I had really, really terrible cramps when I first went in high school. And it just, that definitely helped me when I got on the pill. 
But I forget what happened. I think through college, like I maybe changed providers. I didn't know what I was prescribed originally that was working for me. And I have a question for you guys too, especially as far as your guides. Like, do you walk through the different types? Because even like just the hormonal pill, there's so many different types. And I think when every time I've gone back to my doctor and be like, okay, I've been on the pill, but I don't remember what it's called or what the dosage was or any of the information of finding the one that did work for me back in the day so now I I I don't take it because I don't know which one to take and I think the every time I've tried to get back on it it's not the same one it makes me feel weird but do you guys walk through like kind of a guide of those different hormonal pills and like what they all do what they mean what like you might need because every time I go to the doctor I feel like they're just like okay I'll prescribe you this and they don't really explain what it is or what it does or the dosage or what it's called and they all have weird names and it's just like really confusing (laughs) Yeah. So we currently don't have a guide that walks you through like each type of pill. I mean, as you know, there's hundreds, Yeah. but we do link to this site called the lowdown where people can write reviews of each brand that they've tried. So it's like super specific. Like I tried this dosage of this pill and this was my experience. I know it's, it's not ideal because you know, it's just people's experiences. It's not necessarily like yeah. actual medical guidance, but it can be helpful. Mm-hmm. That is, yeah, that is helpful. I think it's a great idea to, you know, for a guide, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think people do, it is overwhelming. Even I can't keep track of all the pills that are out there and there's generics. And so, you know, I'm often, even with when patients tell me the name of something, I have to look it up because I Mm -hmm. may not know it off the top of my head, what type of formulation it is, you know? So, and, and, uh, you know, you can kind of, uh, kind of basket pills in different categories like low dose or extended yeah. cycle pill etc so that might be a good little yeah. do that okay we're putting you guys to work that's a lot of homework but <laughs> hey. but we also want to talk about iud's because like we've kind of touched on earlier i feel like i've never tried an iud but i have many friends who have and i feel like the consensus is always like it's either the most amazing thing ever or an absolute horror story. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) I think that we'd love to get, yeah, just the story of IUDs, how they work. I know, you know, you talked about earlier, there's a hormonal one, there's not a hormonal one. Can you give us the breakdown really of just IUDs, like basic what you guys give for the lowdown on those? Well, I'm obviously biased, so fan of IUDs. And I'll even share that I personally had the marina like, you know, three times in a row, like I'll swap them out when it's, expired. It is really a revolutionary form of birth control. It's like long acting, you know, the, the Mirena is FDA approved for seven years. There's the Kylena, which is the teat version. That's a hormonal Mirena and Kylena. And there's some other brands as well, hormonal IUDs, which can last, you know, from five to seven years. And then there's the copper IUD, which can last up to 10 years. So it's just a fantastic long acting option where you don't have to worry about birth control for years. I mean, that's just very different than, you know, the first birth control that ever came out, you know, or method that you can prescribe as a pill just is, is requires so much more vigilance, you know? So they're also very effective with extremely low failure rates on par with getting your tubes tied. So you don't have to live in fear that you messed up and could get pregnant. And also very low risk of side effects because they're, you know, even the hormone, so the copper IUD obviously has no hormones, but then the hormonal IUD, it's considered a very, one of the lowest, it is the lowest, 
hormonal form of birth control. Yeah. So, and that's uh, the, those are all the reasons I wanted to get one and it just sounds so amazing. And then mine just didn't work out. And I feel like yeah. I don't want to, I don't think it should be ruined for everyone that some people have bad experiences. Cause I think probably overall yeah. it's really great. Yeah. Well, is it, isn't the issue kind of more the procedure of like getting it in and how maybe it's not put in right. Isn't that usually where most of the problems stem from? It's not the actual like IUD itself, but it's sometimes, you know, any issue complications of getting it inserted. I agree. I think the horror stories are what make people fear the IUD and they're rare, you know, in my opinion, the risk of complications is very low, but of course, if it happens, there can be really serious complications. Like as part of the procedure, the procedure does cause pain and that's, you know, usually a manageable level of pain, but everyone is different. In some cases, it's very bad pain. You know, so that's a horror story. There can be a risk of developing an infection or injury to your uterus or it ending up in the wrong place as it did for Malia or even ending up in the abdomen, which requires emergency surgery. And yeah, those are really scary things to hear. And some are not willing to try because of that. However, the risk of a major complication like that is very low, less than 1%, you know? And finally, they hear about ectopic pregnancy, you know, and that's also terrifying to hear that if you get pregnant with an IUD, that there's a higher risk of an ectopic pregnancy. But I think it's important to understand that as a baseline, if you did not take any birth control, your risk of ectopic pregnancy is actually higher than if you if you got pregnant than if you got pregnant with an IUD because IUD is just that effective at preventing mm-hmm. pregnancy. So we're all at risk, you know. If you're if you're you know a fertile female and having sex, you are at risk for having ectopic, regardless of your birth control. Actually, do you mind defining ectopic yes. pregnancies too? Just because I feel like oh, yeah. it's been a big topic regarding sure. women's health, especially lately due to Roe being overturned and all of that. A normal pregnancy would be one that implants in the uterus where a baby is meant to grow. And an ectopic pregnancy is one that implants somewhere it shouldn't. And that's often the fallopian tube, but it can also be other places, like odd places, like the ovary or the abdomen or the liver, strange places in the abdomen. Yes, those are very, very rare. And those are dangerous because don't progress like a normal pregnancy that will result in a baby. It will, it often, you know, you're at risk of those pregnancies deteriorating, bursting, like in a tube, for example, and causing internal bleeding, which can be life-threatening. It's very dangerous to have an ectopic pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But the chance, again, extremely low. You just spontaneously have that happen. And there's signs and symptoms, you know, so we can be identified. Right. Got it. I have a question going back to hormonal birth control and taking it. I know that one of the big quote unquote issues with it often that I hear is that you have to take it at a certain time every single day. And if you're off on the time, you could totally screw yourself. I have friends that have alarms that go off. I have friends that were like, fuck this. And they ended up doing the IUD thing. Also had issues with that as well. But In terms of taking it every day, you know, there's sort of that stress of making sure, okay, 501 on the dot, need to take it. (laughs) What happens if you don't take it? Like, what if it's 505? Like, are you screwing yourself? You know what I mean? Like, what's the deal with that? It depends on the birth control that you're on. So you're on a a typical pill 
combination pill, which means it has estrogen and progesterone in it, it is actually somewhat forgiving. You do not need to take it at exactly the same hour every day. Within, <laughs> yeah, within 24 hours, it's what you want, okay? But the thing is, it is good. I generally do tell patients to set an alarm to it at least the first 30 days to create a habit because it is just generally better to just get in the, a habit of taking it around the same time every day because then you're going to be more likely to take it correctly and you know not miss any. But if you're thrown off, like you can have work travel or something going on and you don't, you know, you, you're not at a home where you typically leave your pills by the sink or, or your nightstand, then you're likely to, you know, you might mess it up and then, and then be at risk of ovulating and getting pregnant. So, mm -hmm. but if you're on the mini pill, that's a pill that just has progesterone. It is true. That one needs to be taken very correctly. It doesn't have to be 505, you know, with it by in the five minutes, but it, it really does have to be taken within an hour or two, cons you know, yeah. a day consistently right. because it's half the dosage of a regular pill because it's only, it only has progesterone, not estrogen and progesterone. So it's a weaker pill. Yeah. That's why they call it the mini pill because it's mini. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love the branding. Well, speaking of some other just kind of like, you know, I guess misconceptions or myths or whatever you want to call it. And this can even lead into our kind of next topic, which is emergency contraception. And I think this, that along with hormonal birth control, there's like some, you know, weird misconceptions around fertility and like future fertility. Can you kind of talk about that of how, be it, you know, hormonal birth control or, you know, emergency contraceptions, like how can, can that or does it affect fertility in the future? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think there, you know, there is some misconception that birth control can, you know, long-term use can affect your fertility or even using plan B or emergency contraception can affect your long-term fertility, fertility, but that is not the case. We do not re regard any of these methods as, as affecting your fertility long-term. Short-term, yes. Like let's say you're on Depo-Provera and then you decide to stop, you know, it may take a few cycles or even the pill. If you just abruptly stop, you may not necessarily be able to get pregnant the following month. Like it can delay your, your period from coming back for a few months. And so that is the delay, but your fertility will return to whatever your fertility is. The other thing is, you know, a lot of people will feel they're having, let's say you've been on the pill for 10 years or longer, and then you try to get pregnant and you cannot get pregnant. And, you know, it is kind of a nat natural inclination to want to blame the pill, but aging decreases fertility. So I think that's actually probably playing more of a role. Like if you're trying to get pregnant in your thirties versus or your forties versus your twenties, you know, it's not fair, but it is true that you're mm -hmm. just more fertile when you're younger, you know? Yeah. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Totally. Well, another misconception, or not, actually, this isn't even a misconception. This is just like a fun fact question. PSA situation, really. Okay, do antibiotics cancel out birth control? No. Well, not most antibiotics there's one that decreases one called rifampin which is actually used really rarely that can reduce the effectiveness of the pill but most of the antibiotics that you're being given for say i don't know uti or skin infection or vaginal infection or something like that will not affect your birth control but i i would say just to be on the safe side you should always confirm that with your whoever's prescribing you the antibiotic like is this going to affect my we're real mythbusters over here. Yeah, seriously. I was going to say, actually, definitely misconception then, because that was something I had learned God knows where. And up until literally this exact conversation, thought was Same. true. So that is great to know, especially as someone with chronic sinus infections that's constantly on no. antibiotics. Um, this is a game changer. So good to know. Good. <laughs> okay, well. We got to get into plan B. We have got to get into plan B and emergency contraception as a whole. To start things off, what is plan B? Okay, so plan B is a hormone that when you take it at the right time, helps to reduce the chance of the sperm fertilizing the egg and thereby reduce your risk for pregnancy. It doesn't completely eliminate your risk, but it reduces your risk. So, you know, to be most effective, it needs to be taken within... 72 hours of unprotected sex, but it can be taken up to five days after. But it's plan B just a brand though? Yeah, that's a brand. Yes. Mm -hmm. So there's Uh, other brands of emergency contraceptive. Yeah. There there are actually other emergency contraceptive methods. Like there's, you know, plan B is a hormone, but there's also another emergency contraceptive called Ella, another brand, but it's Eulipristol. And then there's also, you can use birth control pills. Like your doctor can tell you take them in a certain ones in a special way. Wait, um, really? Yeah. It's like oh, higher pill can be used as an emergency contraception. And oh. the IUD can also be used. If you insert it within five days of unprotected sex, that will protect you. That, that can also reduce your risk of getting pregnant. The hormonal one or either? Either. Oh, really? Wow. wow, interesting. That is wild. And also within that sphere, what is the difference between Plan B and Ella? Is there one? Yes. I mean, Plan B is hormonal and Ella okay. is a prescription medication. Like a, it's, it's non-hormonal, but it is a medication, you know, so they will have different side effects. Interesting. Interesting. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, I've definitely seen some like generic plan Bs out there too. And Mm -hmm. I was like, hmm, wait a second. This is... Yeah, we we actually probably shouldn't... Yeah, I know. Well, you asked about plan B, but you're right. That's why birth control pills can work in a higher dose because, you know, it's basically hormone, progesterone, you know, 
that if you take it at the right dosage, you know, you can. Yeah, read. that's really interesting. I didn't know that piece. Love it. Here we look at us. Look at us. Fun facts everywhere. <laughs> uh, well, moving on to, can you tell the difference between Plan B and Plan C pills? Sure. So, so Plan B is to reduce the risk of pregnancy, but Plan C refers to medications that will actually terminate an early pregnancy. So, you know, like abortion medication. I feel like that leads into the perfect segue of what is an abortion and what really medically qualifies as an abortion. So abortion simply is the termination of a pregnancy, you know, either using medication or via a surgery, a procedure to terminate the pregnancy. What qualifies, I guess, you know, the abortions can be performed before, I usually, typically, medical abortions are performed less than in the first trimester, so less than 13 weeks of pregnancy. And then surgical abortions can be performed a little further along up until, you know, early in the early second trimester, like up to 20 weeks or so. Mm-hmm. And how common are abortions, you say? We'll, we'll, we'll keep to the U.S. Are very common. <laughs> I feel everyone should know this, you know, how vital it is and needed in the world and how much we rely on it for the world to function. Mm-hmm. Worldwide, 25% of pregnancies are, are reported to end in abortion. And in the U.S., they've, they've reported that one in four women have had an abortion sometime in their lifetime. So, yeah. you know, these threats to abortion are really scary because no one i don't think any everyone appreciates how much we all men and women rely on abortion to you know to keep the world running the way it does you know yeah absolutely totally and thinking about the threats to abortion some of the laws that have already been put into place and whatnot especially some of the ones that have shrunken the window as to, you know, when you can get an abortion in particular states. And some of the controversy or, you know, feedback on that is, well, most people don't know they're pregnant within, say, the six-week limit or four-week limit or whatever limits people are trying to put into place. You know, what really is that window? When do people typically know that they're pregnant or start suspecting, especially for someone that's not planning a pregnancy, right? That's not like, you know what, me and my partner are trying to have a baby, which I also think... Side note is the funniest fucking thing of all time when people say they're trying and they're literally just telling everyone that they're fucking constantly. Hilarious <laughs> to me. Hilar- especially in conservative just doing unprotected sex. Way. We never thought about it that way. I think about that every time I hear it. I'm like, hmm, so you guys are getting after it. Love to see you guys it. are having a lot of unprotected <laughs> sex. That must be fun for you. <laughs> 100%. So, you know, I, yes, I have a big problem with that. That's, some women do not discover they're pregnant for a, a while because, you know, one, you may not be tracking your cycle in an app and know when it's coming because you're, you know, you're not trying to get pregnant, right? And I mean, at the time that you, most people, I guess, would miss their, would find out they're pregnant because they miss their cycle and then take a pregnancy test, right? There can be, and by that point, you're already four weeks, four plus weeks, but you could be much further along too. And also, if you don't have regular cycles, you may not discover, mm-hmm. you know, if you only have a period every two or three months, and there are women like that, you know, and especially teenagers and women in their 40s are very much at risk for 
having unintended pregnancy and maybe even discovering it late because cycles are often irregular on, on those two ends. And, you know, you could easily find out very late and then run out of time in seeking like a medical abortion, for example, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I totally relate to that. Like I've never had no, I probably, the most regular I've ever been is like two months in a row. And I'm like, wow, body, what are you doing? Oh my God. And then like the next month will come and I'm like, okay, well, it was, it was fun while She's it lasted. Gone. This is great. Yeah. Love that. But so I can definitely relate to like, if I oh. were finding out, I would have no idea. Like I would have I, no way of like being that. While you said that though, I do want to add that, you know, if your cycles are like every two or three months, please do see a gynecologist or your doctor to discuss and make sure that it's safe for you (laughs) because there are medical reasons why that would not you you don't want that to be happening you know so yes 100 percent, totally and in terms of abortion pills what are some of the benefits to that method to that process sure well i think it is you know a more convenient method if you can if you're a candidate for it it's early enough in pregnancy it's more convenient. It's more discreet. It's efficient. You can, you know, do this in the privacy of your home and you can avoid the risks of, of surgery and anesthesia, you know? Mm-hmm. So those are the advantages. Yeah. Oh my God. Can Guys, me on anesthesia, <laughs> so bad. Same. It is Same. like, is, okay, this might be, this is a rogue medical question that you might like not have on deck, but I'm curious, like, is that like a common thing where people just have bad reactions to anesthesia or is this just, just an us thing? You need to know what your bad reaction is. Yeah. What is your bad reaction? Oh my God. Acting like, like a freak? In, uh, well, see that I wish. It, oh my god, That's I would be I so excited if I had funny reactions and there were like <laughs> videos that just made me like a comedic genius. Oh, no, that's it's what just I had. me constantly puking. I have like I was oh. like could not stop puking. So that was my fun-filled reaction. Thank you. Both yeah, times. You're all welcome. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, nausea is a pretty common one, and okay. you know, in, in the future, if you need to have anesthesia, you you should just share that with your anesthesiologist, and they will pre-medicate you medicate you in anticipation of that but that that one's pretty common i thought you were talking about like how my kids when they got their their uh, wisdom teeth out they're very goofy afterwards yeah but that was me they do that for or procedures you know yeah that was I me i was it. like asking to see miley cyrus it was like a whole situation but <laughs> to talk about good. surgical abortions a little bit can you explain the process of how those usually go Sure. So similar to medical abortions, you know, you see an abortion provider, a healthcare provider, you know, again, have a history of physical and confirm your, how far along you are in pregnancy. Again, they would talk about the risks of surgery with you, obtain your consent. Sometimes it's the same day that you have the procedure. You know, if it was someplace like Planned Parenthood, sometimes it's scheduled if it was with a private doctor. And you get your instructions about what to do, you know, pre-op and, and, and on the day of procedure. When you come in for the procedure, generally, it's pretty quick. You know, it's usually less than an hour in the OR. Obviously, there's the time before and after, so maybe longer than that, like half a day. In the operating room, you get anesthesia, so you are not awake for this. Usually, they'll examine you, like you, a pelvic exam, like you may have in the office, like with a pap smear not having a pap smear, but an exam. And then the procedure is called a 
section D and C. There are other names like aspiration, surgical aspiration. But basically what you were doing is, you know, you dil they dilate open the cervix and then insert a plastic dilator, I'm sorry, plastic curette or device that basically is attached to a suction device and you suction out the pregnancy tissue. And mm -hmm. that's pretty much it. It's pretty straightforward and over pretty quickly. And then afterwards, you're woken up, taken to the recovery room, and assuming you're doing well, you can go home the same day. Mm -hmm. Got it. Is one like more effective than the other technically? Um, You're at a higher risk, I would say, with the medical abortion of it not completely clearing everything and needing, you know, retreatment or surgery, you know, but they're both really effective. I would have to look up the exact numbers for you, yeah. but, you know. Is also... Uh, is one more expensive than the other? Mm, good question. I, I would say the surgery would be more expensive because mm -hmm. you know you're you have the OR staff and right. anesthesiologists and surgeon. You know, so the medical abortion is very you know cost effective. Actually, that's something I should have mentioned as the advantage. One of the advantages. Yeah, yeah. just for numbers because I'm a numbers gal. <laughs> for for the medical abortion, we're talking $150 to $250. And for okay. the surgical abortion, we're talking $600 to $1,000. And depending on if you qualify, you know, there are services like Planned Parenthood and other free clinics, depending on what state you're in, where you may not have to pay anything. Yeah. But it's kind of case by case. Right. Wow. That is quite the, the price difference. My goodness gracious. Well, to that end, though. With surgical abortions, is there a certain point in pregnancy that that needs to be the only, you know, version used? Like, is there, what qualifies as like, we need to do a surgical abortion versus medical abortion? If you're beyond 13 weeks, you are generally not a candidate for a medical abortion. So you'd have to have a surgical abortion. But, you know, I would, you want to really confirm that with a healthcare provider because- Sometimes patients will think they are 13 weeks or 14, 15 weeks, but really the pregnancy has not progressed beyond a certain number of weeks. Like, you know, you maybe perhaps the, well, I guess that's not an abortion then if you have a miscarriage, but you still want to confirm because your dates might be off, you know, and, and maybe what might be a candidate for a medical abortion. Can Wait, they test okay. for that? Yeah. Sorry. Maybe that's oh, what no. you were going to ask. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, it's not required to have an ultrasound to confirm your dates, but if you saw, you know, if you saw a patient where you weren't sure if you really rock solid dates and you want you, you know, your, your doctor may order an ultrasound to confirm the dating. And that's, that would be a way of learning how far along you are. Cause I was going to say like how, and you, maybe even like in the ultrasound, like how do they know how many weeks you're at? Like, is there something that oh, yeah. like very, you know, sort of is that sign? It's pretty accurate. Like in the first trimester, an ultrasound is pretty accurate to like something like five days, I believe. Yeah. So, and you know, at a certain gestation, all you see is a sac. At a certain gestation, you see a what we call a fetal pole, which is, you know, develop some development. And then you can see, you know, heart, heart of a flicker, you know, so, and then, the, and then the size of the fetal pole, you know, determine that can determine how far along you are so it is pretty accurate yeah 
Can you talk about a little bit too, and just getting into kind of also the politics and all the probably misinformation that has been going, circulating just due to Roe being overturned and some of these policies that are being passed, when people have to get an abortion later in their pregnancy, is that even considered an abortion when it comes to like the woman's health and all those things? Can you talk talk about that? Because that's such a circulating conversation and dialogue and rhetoric that's going on right now politically. Can you kind of touch on this part of the conversation as well and you know, sure. some of the misconceptions? Um, I think that there is a misconception, you know, when they talk about late-term abortion, there is no such thing as like a third trimester abortion, okay? That is, or I'm not sure exactly what gestational age that's referring to, but, you know, I, I said that you can have a surgical abortion up till about 20 weeks or so. The reason being is around 20 something weeks is when the uh, fetus is viable, okay? So if you are terminating a pregnancy, you know, when you're further along like that, often it's an induction, you know, you're induced so that you labor and you give birth to, to a fetus. But if, if you are, and then usually that is like for some kind of catastrophic yeah. problem with the baby, it would not, or fetus, it wouldn't survive, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not really, at, no one is going in and doing a suction procedure, for example, or of a, of a viable fetus, you know? So I, th- I think that is something that people need to understand better. Yeah. Know that most pregnancies that are aborted are in the first trimester. It's rare, even it's it's much less common to even have a second trimester abortion. Usually, it's for something catastrophic where the child would not, you know, or baby fetus wouldn't even survive, you know. And much later, that's not really an abortion. It's like a stillbirth because right. baby is has damage of some sort or some kind of anatomical or genetic problem, you know? So that's a big misconception. And most abortions that are occurring are very early. Yeah. That is one, so good to know, just in terms of clarifying, but to that end of like how much that misconception is used in messaging in Vermont right now, there is a campaign That'll be, well, really ballot initiative that'll be on the ballot on November 8th, deciding whether or not abortion rights will be protected via the Vermont Constitution or not. And there's signs everywhere that I see every time I visit my parents. Basically, the ones, there's ones that are like, yes, vote yes on this amendment that'll protect rights. And the ones that say no, the literal, the biggest font on the top is say no to late term abortions vote no on I think it's prop five but it's just like one of these things where I'm like what like that's just not not the case it's not accurate yeah I think it would be good to push these politicians to answer that question what do you mean Mm -hmm. I I don't understand that term quite frankly like what do you mean by late-term abortion what how many weeks are we talking about you know because I'd like to know, like, if you're saying 19 weeks, that's not, you know, that's okay. That a fetus would not survive on its own, you know? And then if you're talking 30 something weeks, no one's doing that. That's doesn't exist, you know? Yeah. So these are just lies. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's just such an important point to push across is that really the, all of the, a lot of the arguments on that side of being pro-life or, you know, 
banning abortion or whatever it is it's just a lot of it is literally based in completely false on completely false information and medically inaccurate information and that's just obviously so dangerous and just super problematic and i think that is an important thing to highlight is that like literally a lot of these claims like are coming from like these politicians who have no idea what they're even talking about like zero clue they don't they should yeah. be put to answer more medical yeah. questions they want to interfere and i don't right. think they know what they're talking about i mean even just like the way a topic is being managed <laughs> some places right. Are you serious? This is, this is dangerous to mothers or women. You know, it's not, it's not viable. It's not going to result in a baby. And yeah, I I, I think it's, it is really dangerous. And I I wish they wouldn't be spreading all this misinformation. You know, it's like an emotional argument versus this argument. Absolutely. All right. Well, we got to get into our audience questions. Let's do it. Maddie, do you want to, you want to start it off? Sure. Well, first one is why is birth control the only option for treating ovarian cysts or bad cramping? Are there other medical options? Sure. Okay. So ovarian cysts. Something patients don't sometimes know is that if you are not on birth control and you're a menstruating person, you are making cysts every month. That's actually how you ovulate, you know? So the largest cyst forms, well, cysts form on your ovaries, and then the largest one bursts and you ovulate. So the reason birth control is often our first line way of preventing cysts is because it prevents ovulation. So, but it's not the only way there are other treatments. It's just that one works so well that we rely on it a lot. There's also a treatment for endometriosis that you can use that will suppress the ovulation. There's also medications that induce like a medical menopause that will suppress ovulation and cyst formation. But, you know, those are going to have different side effects and, and risks and not necessarily better than the pill, you know? So we do rely on the pill a lot. You don't necessarily have to do that though. Sometimes cysts will just resolve on their own. It really depends on what your cyst is doing. You can talk to your doctor about that, but some, some patients who don't want to do the pill, I'll just say, okay, let's look again in a couple of months because a couple of menstrual cycles might clear up the cyst on its own. Cramping, we treat with the pill as well pretty frequently because Cramping, you know, bad pelvic cramping, I'm assuming with periods is often because of the amount of flow. Like that's the thing. Like the more flow you have, the more cramping you're going to have. Your uterus is actively trying to constrict and slow down the blood flow. And so the pill is a great treatment because it reduces your menstrual flow and thereby reduces cramping. But there's, you don't have to just take the pill. Actually, there are other treatments, you know, other birth control methods that can reduce you know, your, your menstrual flow can reduce the cramping. There's also pain medications that you can try instead if you don't want to do that. Yeah. And also if you're having a lot of pain and it's not being treated with typical treatments, you've tried birth control and that's not working for you, might be time to explore a medication maybe for endometriosis as a trial, because maybe that's what you have. Maybe you have that, you know, it is difficult to diagnose endometriosis. So that one's, yeah. It can be tough, but if you're you're not responding to typical treatments and getting frustrated, you may want to have that talk with your doctor too. 
Mm-hmm. Totally. I'm so curious and we'll be setting up an appointment with my gyno ASAP because that is some new information. That's definitely good to know. And I've also been on the other side of the cyst bursting scenario and that is brutal. Brutal, oh, brutal, brutal. I, I forgot to mention, of course, this can also be treated with surgery, but we usually have certain criteria, you know, like mm-hmm. if it's a certain size to, you know, large, very large, if it's persistent, it's not clearing, say over a couple months where you're watching it, or it has suspicious features, or it's torsing, which is like, when you have a big cyst on the ovary yeah. and kind of make your ovary top heavy, it's a little, you know, ovary is typically small and has a little pedicle it hangs from in your abdomen. And if it gets top heavy, you can twist that pedicle, which has the blood supply and you can actually lose your ovary. So if we feel that it's just twisting and causing pain and potentially there's a risk of losing your ovary, then we might recommend surgery versus just watching with or giving the pill. Mm -hmm. That is a good to know. Yeah, I had one that was, I think it was like six centimeters. And (laughs) then they were like, oh, we're going to like operate the next day. And then it just burst and stuff. And I was like, awesome. Great, great, great. So fun. I I know that was probably painful, but you were lucky. No, I was like happy it happened. And it was just like over with and all of that. Because I've had to the point of the twisting, I have a friend who lost an ovary as a result of not realizing what it was. Like she was misdiagnosed, ended up having an ovarian cyst. It twisted, she ended up at the hospital and RIP ovary. So... I feel like maybe to that question, are there like symptoms people should look for if they're, you know, thinking "Hmm, maybe, you know, I have an ovarian cyst or something that they could like look out for so that they don't end up in that scenario where the first time they're hearing that they have one is in the hospital losing their ovary? Yeah, you have to listen to your body. I mean, acute pain where doubled over, nausea or vomit. I mean, you don't have to have all of these things nausea, vomiting, lightheaded, dizzy, you know, just really out of the ordinary for you and where you're not, you're feeling like something is very wrong. I mean, you should listen to your body and have that checked out. And typically uh, on, uh, you know, if you went to the ER, let's say, and they order an ultrasound and they saw a cyst, they can kind of look at the blood flow to the ovary and make sure it's there. You know, you can also just have this type of pain just from having the cyst there or it's bursting like in your case, but it's important to have you know recognize that distinction of when it's much worse you know yeah right you're over okay well next one is why do doctors often not tell you how painful getting an iud is this is an audience question i'm curious about your answer i tell my patients it's painful it goes on my consent form i mean that is just part of any procedure pain is like the first thing i write down so it's really hard to, so, so your doctor should be telling you that it causes pain and it's just hard to communicate how much pain you will have. I usually, you know, so because everyone is different and everyone's organs are different, their nerves are different. You don't know how much pain each, sometimes I do the procedure and patients have, you know, can faint from it because they're just in so much pain. And then other times they're like, oh, that was nothing. So you, it's also hard to just describe how the experience is going to be, but they should be warning you about that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. And to that point, how can patients get or ask for pain medication for IUD insertion or removal? And is there also a patient's bill of rights that guarantees this when you ask or no? 
Okay, I'm gonna answer the second part because I'm not aware of a patient bill of rights that guarantees that you can, you know, pay, get pain medication at the time of IUD insertion or removal. But my feeling is that that offering pain medication should be part of a patient bill of rights, you know, for any procedure. And you know, I think it's just very important to communicate what you expect for your treatment with your doctor because. We are all trained in different ways. Some have not been trained. You know, they may not be able to offer it to you because of their lack of training or experience, or they just never did that, you know, or limitations about what their facility can offer. And so you should not be shy about communicating what you need. And if you need pain medication at the time of this type of procedure, then you should ask if they offer it. And if they don't, don't be shy about asking for a referral or or seeking that out, uh, seeking another provider out for yourself. I mean, this reminds me of a patient I had last week. Typically, I, you know, IUD removals are pretty straightforward and I don't offer pain medication. However, this patient expressed to me that she has a great deal of pain with anything related to the IUD and she wanted it under sedation and she's being booked for that. So I think, you know, you, you should ask for what you need. If your doctor is comfortable, they will proceed. If they're not, perhaps they will offer you a referral. If not, seek out the right doctor for you. Do not just have it done when you're not comfortable with how it's going to be done. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I that, actually, sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. One more question on that note in terms of guides, recommendations and such that y'all do. Is there any sort of communication that you guys have on your end of like doctors that say like, yes, I will, you know, offer pain medication or like, is that something that people can provide feedback on? Yeah. So that is our, on our list of follow-up questions that we ask to anyone who is an OBGYN. So obviously if that's not a gynecology office, we don't ask that, but that is a, our like short list of questions. So patients can know ahead of time and not just for IUD insertion, also for colposcopy or other types of procedures where it sometimes comes up. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Wait, sorry, I had one more IUD question, and maybe this is another myth-busting moment, but I've heard, too, from people that pain, the pain can be different or worse, or like the problems can come up more for the copper and less for the hormonal IUD. Is there any differences between like complications that come up from those two, or is it pretty much the same? They are a little bit different. You know, the Marina IUD, for example, the hormonal IUD is... FDA approved also for heavy periods, right? So one of the one of the reasons I'll prescribe it or you know recommend it to patients is if they have heavy periods, not even for birth control. I mean, women with tubal ligations who need their period improved, but the copper IUD has the opposite. Well, it's it's you know when I counsel patients regarding the copper IUD, it you know it has its advantages, non-hormonal, last ten years. However, you should expect heavier periods with that. Like if you have seven-day cycles normally, you might have ten-day cycles. You know, I'm like, so the flow increase. So it is different. But mm -hmm. as far as the basic things, like at the time of you know signing a consent for the procedure, the risks are about the same. Like you know pain, yeah. infection, risk. There's a risk of bleeding. There's a risk of you know, injury to the uterus at the time of insertion, there's a risk of failure and then a higher risk of ectopic if, God forbid, it fails, you know. So all of those things are part of the counseling, but the, one of the big differences is the after effect with a hormonal IUD versus 
the paraguard. Like the paraguard yeah. will potentially make your periods worse, but the hormonal IUD may actually make your periods make lighter, maybe. But also there's a little more breakthrough irregular bleeding with that too, especially yeah. beginning as you're getting used to, as it's sort of adapting, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So like if you have like light to normal periods, like the copper one might be a good option. But if you have like a heavy period and you, you know, then you probably should not do the copper. I, I think so. If your periods are already yeah. very bad, I would probably steer patients away. But, you know, anything is worth a, tr a try if you really have your heart set on it, you know, maybe... Yeah. Maybe you wouldn't have that effect, but in general, that's what happens. I do have a yeah. patient, I, I can recall a patient that I saw recently that has perfectly fine periods with the copper IUD. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it's all such good information to know. I mean, the fact that, like, just going through this conversation and, like, even asking you that, like, it's sometimes it's when you're in these settings with doctors and you don't really have that foundational knowledge of all this stuff, like, you don't even know what questions to ask. And I think that's why conversations like these and, like, basic run-throughs are so important and what you guys do is so important. So thank you for coming on and answering all of our questions. Hopefully this helps a lot of people in finding, you know, their right birth control and uh, women's health options. So... Thank you. Can can you give everybody the 411 on where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can use these resources, plug everything? Yeah, awesome. Well, if you go to our website, thepov.us, you'll be able to access the directory as well as all of the guides, including, to Maddie's point, we have guides on like what questions you should ask your gynecologist. That's one of the most Googled things because people want to know. And then... We have, we're very active on social media. I would say like, if you have absolutely no chill, you should follow us on TikTok because we get really crazy talking about women's health, health for people with the uterus, feminism, all that good stuff. It's at POV by Malia, or you can, it'll be linked on our website. And then if you just want more traditional like information, kind of stuff from the guides, you can follow us on Instagram. It's get the POV. And again, it's linked on our website. Amazing. Well, obviously, we'll be putting people on all of those resources so good and keeping track of all the guides as they continue to grow. Thank you guys so much for coming on. This was great. Yeah, yes. thanks for having us. This was so fun. And Kirti, you did amazing. I wish you could be everybody's doctor. Like, it <laughs> no, sucks actually. that you can't. You know, if I can slide in with some personal questions, because I might be <laughs> you in the future. Amazing. Feel Thank free. Thank you. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.